0: Good morning, Burlington Baptist. It is so great to be here today, and it's so great to be able to speak on miracles. Because a lot of times we use that word, Christians, very loosely. We say that we pray for a miracle, and we ask for a miracle. (laughs) And I'll be truthful. I didn't even know that I was doing a sermon about miracles. Because a couple of weeks ago, I'm sitting in my office, and Kent comes in, as he usually does, just walks in, and he says, hey, Jeff. Hey Jeff, hey Jeff, hey Jeff, hey Jeff, wait a minute, hey Jeff, hey Jeff. And he continues to do that until I look up and I say, yes, Kent, what is it? And he goes, we've got this Gravedigger sermon series that we got coming up, and I'm all excited about Gravedigger." He says, I want you to preach about this. He says, you've got the, the third sermon in the installment and stuff like this. And I'm sitting there in my mind, because I'm already ADD, and I'm sitting there going, he keeps saying Grave Digger, Grave Digger grave digger. And this is what goes through my mind when he's talking to me. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. If Digger was here, we'd have a bigger crowd, okay? That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. But he kept on saying, and I looked at him, I said, can't you mean grave Robert? And he goes, yeah, 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 that's what I meant. So then I finally figured out what planet he was talking from, and then we worked on from there. But I'm excited because the whole series dealing with miracles and what Jesus Christ did is the thing that as Christians, we know that we can lean on if we have a proper perspective, because a lot of times, let's be honest with you, when we go into the whole miracle thing, we're not asking for a miracle from God. We're asking God to do what we want him to do. Everything that in our prayer life usually comes with a stipulation, like God, you know. You know, I really need this to happen because this is going to allow me to do this, and this is going to allow me to do that. You know, I've always questioned this, and this might not be good from the pulpit, but I've always questioned about how many people, how many prayers do you think God hears when the lottery goes to like $5 billion? That's what I, you know, sincere or unsincere. Don't you think he's tossing them all up there? I mean, and he's, okay, he has to filter some of that. But when we do miracles, we do a little bit of the same thing, even as Christians because we set out and we have a predetermined idea of the way things should work and the way it's going to turn out. So today I want to share two contrasting pieces of Scripture with you. The first one, if you stand with me, we're going to read from the book of John, chapter 5. And this is the point when Jesus is getting ready to enter into Jerusalem. It says, Sometime later Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which the Aramaic called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered calendars. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, and these disabled people included the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. One who's been there, or one who was there, has been an invalid for thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying, There, And he learned how long that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked, he says, sir, do you want to get well? And the man replied, I I have no one to help me into the pool when the weather is stirred. While I'm still trying to get in, someone goes down and gets in ahead of me. And Jesus looked at him and said, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat. And he walked. The day was the Sabbath. And I stopped there to make you understand what was going on in that day. It wasn't just a day. It was the Sabbath. And all the elders and everybody, the chief priests, were all watching what Jesus Christ was doing that day as far as a miracle. So today, as we begin to look at this verse of Scripture, let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your presence. We know the Holy Spirit is here. We ask you to work through our minds and our hearts today that we would humble ourselves and be open to what you would speak to us through your word. And Father, I stand here just a vessel. I have no agenda. I have nothing to say on my behalf because I'm not worthy. But I just thank you for allowing me to be used today to share your word in this time. So be with us, guide us, and direct us in all of our thoughts. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. So, Bethesda. The way it was described to me, I've never been to the Holy Land. If you've been to the Holy Land, you can correct me later. But I'm going to say that the pool of Bethesda was probably about two or three football fields long. There is actually an excavation that goes on over there now. And they will take you to it. And what you had was the largest gathering of people that were looking for a miracle in their life. And they came down with every kind of infirmity. And if you know this from teaching, I think I've mentioned in sermons past, there was a lot of people, especially the priests, that believed that when you had infirmities and problems in that day, that that was caused by the amount of sin that was in your life. And therefore, those people weren't being helped out by anybody. Because they might have been considered unclean or unworthy. Unworthy. And as Jesus Christ walked into the gate that day through the sheep gate, which I think is irony too, because we're all sheep, and we've all gone astray. And if we take him at His word, that's exactly the way that He views us. We are His sheep. So as he goes to the sheep gate that day and walks by the pool, he looks down, and, don't kid yourself, Jesus already knew that man was going to be there. And he always knew that that man was going to be in need of that miracle. But it didn't stop him from asking him the obvious question. Do you want to be healed? And you notice the man did not give him a yes or a no. He felt like he owed Jesus an explanation. And I think that's really because if he's been at that pool for 38 years, except by word of mouth, there's a good chance that nobody had told him about Jesus. Maybe he's heard a story or two. So he wasn't looking necessarily Jesus as the Son of God, but he was looking at him as God's instrument that day to fulfill a miracle. And when Jesus asked him the question, he talked about the fact that as he's there by the water, he's waiting for the waters to be stirred. The thinking of that day was that when the waters would move, a ripple, a breeze, that it was angels pouring themselves out over that water, and it made it holy water. And therefore, when they saw any movement in the water, they all tried to push their way in to be the first person to receive the blessing. A lot of times we're that way about miracles. That we are so intent on having something happen that we push our way towards the water. Or push our way towards the answer. And a lot of times, if we're not careful, this begins to put God into a box. We sit there and we look at God and you say, God, this is the thing that really needs to happen. And you know what? God wants to hear sincerely from your heart exactly what you want to say to him. But he wants you to have the understanding that what you pray for might not be what he knows is best. And in this day and age, we can't get caught up, and especially in these times uh, as of late, we can't get up in a time of trying to outthink God. I don't want to go there. He created this universe. He created all that's good. And I'm going to try to outthink him? I don't think so. You know, Kent, in the first hour, he told this story about the grandkids, and he talked about the fact that he was an only child, and some of the people in here, as only children, they all kind of half-applauded. Which is usually what happens. And I thought about, when I was sitting there, I I thought about the fact that I'm the youngest child. Anybody youngest child? Yeah, come on, you're usually louder than his youngest children. Anyway, being a youngest child, I would always deal with my parents and my brother, and I would try to manipulate a situation. Youngest children do that. We're observers. We watch the way that everybody else does, and then we manipulate that to actually play out in our favor. I remember that when I would get something or my mother and father would do something for me and it would drive my older brother crazy, that he would usually yell and scream, holler, pitch a fit, whatever term you want to put on, and he would walk back the hallway, and it was usually followed by the slamming of his bedroom door. But being his younger brother, I also knew that if I could count to ten, I would hear the slamming of that door again, and that would be my father entering the room (laughs) after my brother to straighten him out. Everybody has an intent and purpose, and my brother thought this is the way it should work out, and when it didn't work out, he got angry. He became defiant until my father spoke to him in love, let's just say it that way, (laughs) and brought him back guys, when we deal with God, we need to speak from a posture that we're so humble, and we know that we can't do anything to affect change for ourselves, that we become totally and 100% reliant on him. And in my life, I can tell you that those are the most uneasy times there are the times when I lose control. Now, I'm not telling you to do this, but it would be akin to walking down the, or driving down the highway and just taking your hands off the wheel. Please don't do that. Please. I, I drive these roads with you. I don't want to see you whirling over to my lane, but it's the same thing about our lives. In that day, that man didn't even know who Jesus Christ was, but when Christ asked him, he was able to let go of everything and just follow the instructions. And do you know where that man went? After he was healed. He went to church. It says he went to the temple. Because even though he wasn't so sure about Jesus Christ being a savior. He knew that God had placed him in his life for this healing to occur. And the first thing that he did upon his healing is he went to the temple to thank God. Matter of fact, Jesus and he meet again later in scripture. When miracles happen, we can't try to control the circumstances. And here is the problem. When we box God in, we look to set the ground rules for God. Now, my second piece of scripture I want to read to you today deals with one of these people. Going back to the Old Testament that was dealing with a miracle or a request for a miracle in that same way. This dude's name was Naaman. And he was the hero of the people. People loved him. People chanted his name. He was important. When he would come in, people would throw stuff at him and offer him in. Everybody wanted to be seen. He's like a modern day, you know, sports figure. So everybody wants to be seen with him. But listen to this it said So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots, and they stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Now, being a youth minister, let me. Describe what just happened. Naaman just rolled up to Elisha's house with his posse in his entourage and all the group and all the bling. So he carried all these people with him and they roll up in front of Elisha's house. And he was there because he wanted a miracle. It said that Elisha sent a messenger outside to say to him, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away, went away angry, and he actually said, I thought that he would surely come out and see me. And then he would stand and call in the name of the Lord and wave his hand over the spot and cure my leprosy. Are not the two rivers in Damascus better than all the waters in Israel? Couldn't I wash them and be cleansed? So he turned and he went off in a rage. Now later, Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you have not done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So Naaman picked up his pride and he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan River seven times. And as the man of God had told him, his flesh was restored and became like that of a young man. Naaman left his house that day with the idea that when I roll up to Elisha's house, he's going to roll out the red carpet. He's going to make it all about me. He's going to take my need and he's going to set it before everything else and he's going to come out and he's going, oh, I'm so grateful that you're here and you've asked me to heal you. And then he's going to pray in the Lord's name and wave his hand over and he's going to be healed. But that's not what happened. And let me clue you in here. that At the time of day when he rolled up there, Elisha was probably in a moment where he is spending time with God. Just he and God. Therefore, in Elisha's mind, he might have been thinking the fact that if I get up and I leave God at this point in time and walk out and meet him outside, I'm putting him on the same plane, if not a little bit higher than God in importance. And Elisha wasn't about to do that. Changes your whole perspective. Some people might have looked at Elisha and said, you're just lazy and you won't go out and do it. No, he had a reason. And instead of asking for the reason, David just got mad and went away. Now, is there anybody in here that is willing to admit that you know of anybody or you yourselves have played this game? That if I don't get my way, then I'm picking up my toys and I'm going away. Oh, my goodness. Ah, oh. <laughs> Has anybody ever thought that? I'm saying you can say other people have done. That's good. You guys need to work on your honesty a little bit, man. Even when you're a little kid, you've seen it happen in the sandbox. Little kids sitting there going, well, if I don't get my way, I'm just taking my stuff and I'm going to the head of the house. Happens in marriage. Then if we don't eat where Kinder wants, none of us get any peace. I mean, you know, it's, it just happens that way. No, it's not usually that way. I ask her and she never tells me where she wants to eat. So... This mindset that here is a person in need of God to do something in his life, but he's going to throw a temper tantrum and go back to his house and pout about it. And it took God to use his servants, someone that is subordinate to him. And I'm going to clue you in here. Be careful not to turn away the wisdom and the advice of people, even if you look at them in a lower status than you. Because it could be God trying to talk to you. God has all kinds of ways of reaching out to us. And in this case, they walked up to him and they said, Father, listen, Said if he would have told you to go jump off a mountain in front of a crowd of 100,000, you wouldn't have said anything about that. If he would have given you some big task, you would have done it just like that. But just because he told you to go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan, and the truth is the Jordan River is not clean. It's a pretty dirty river. He said, but even though he just asked you to do that, you're willing not to be healed just to prove a point? Just to show that you're right? And then the duh moment happens. This is when Jeff usually is driving down the road and somebody has said something to him and I'm going, why would they say that to me? What? And all of a sudden it's duh. Naaman had the duh moment. I asked God to heal me and He's providing a way to be healed, and I'm sitting here arguing about it. So he goes down to the river, dips his hand in seven times, pulls it out, and it says that his hand was young, or skin was that of a young man. Now, I said this in the first service, and I will proclaim it from the mountaintops. I'm 50 years old, I'm a youth minister, I love my job, but there is no way I want to be a teenager again. No way. No way. There's too much stuff to learn and think about and go through again. I've done my time. But how many of you would like to uh, maybe dip your hands in some water and pull them out, and you look at your hands and your skin, and it's that of a young man or a young woman again? In my case, as bad as my hands look, it'd be very noticeable. One of my bright youth asked me, after I talked to him about this in youth one night, said, do you think that he was smart enough to go dip the other hand seven times so at least they matched? So... <laughs> So, the way students think, praise God, they've already. Hey, stick that in there a couple more times. How about the rest of me? Roll, roll around in the Jordan River. But the point is that it took him to have a dumb moment. And here is one thing that I want to clue you in on. And I added this one into my sermon points at the last moment. But is get into God's word. And the reason why is because I can sit up here and I can preach a sermon. I can read sermon notes. People can write beautiful sermons, and I can just sit up here and spit out what somebody else has written. And for the most part, you guys aren't going to know it. I can do that in front of the youth. I can do that in my daily life. I can spit out Scripture. I know Scripture. I'm a preacher's son. They made me memorize more Scripture. I can't tell you what all of it means, you know. I'm more drawn to the stuff where it talks about sticking your knife into fat rolls and things like that in the Old Testament. I love those kind of stories. But the truth is, if I don't get into God's Word, I don't understand what God's plan is. And if you spend time on the television every night, two, three hours, flipping through the channels, watching the mindless garbage that comes out of there, and you're not even giving God 15, 20 minutes in the Word, got a problem, especially in today's age, especially now, because the generation after us, they've got all electronics, their Bible's on their iPhone, but most of them don't open that up until they show up to youth or until somebody says it in a Thrive service. We don't go to the Word unless we think we need it. And we need it every day. So don't forsake opening God's Word. The other thing is that when I read this, I think about the fact that I don't want to give up on God. There's been a lot of people over these last months that have come up and told me for various reasons in their lives, They're praying, they're praying, they're praying. And there's nothing that does my heart better to hear that somebody is praying. My only take back at it is that when you're praying, that you're praying for the right thing. Not your thing, not somebody else's thing, but are you praying for God's thing? Because sometimes when we pray, we get lost in the fact that if it doesn't happen this way, it's going to have an adverse effect. Something, something terrible is going to happen. And we begin to churn up fear and reasons of why. And you know what? Sometimes it even keeps us away from the very place where God brings us to worship and love one another. And it can happen. There's not a godly man on earth that would tell you that if something doesn't seem right, then you just stay home. Or you go find something better to do. The godly man's gonna tell you, you better get on your knees. I'll get on my knees with you. I'll open up the word. We'll see what God has to say. We'll pray together. We'll go through this whole thing together. Because if we're seeking a miracle from God, if we're seeking God's intervention in any way, then we need to do this together. Because apart, we're just pieces thrown and scattered. But together we make up the body of Christ. See, people ask me, so when you stand up here and you're looking at all those people, I said, What do you see? And I'm sitting there going, Well, I see faces of people. But you know what? Even though I know most of your names and we've shared conversations and we've talked before, I really can tell you that when I sit up here, it's so unifying and understanding to know that I'm looking at the body of Christ. That even if God doesn't pull out the circumstances that Jeff thought, I got brothers and sisters to lift me up and pick me up. You know, I kid with Gary about it, but there's been many times in my life when he's called at the right time. And there's been many times he's spoken to my life and told me to remember something the other way so Jeff doesn't get so caught up in his way. God is like that. That's the way the miracle gets presented to us. As a preacher's son, I'm kind of drawn to this story. There is another preacher's son that I hold dear in my life and have never met him, but his name is Nick Voich, And you might have seen him on the news. But I want to share with you briefly Nick's story because a lot of people haven't heard it. I've had the pleasure of hearing him speak. But if you look at that, the first thing that you're drawn to is the fact that he doesn't look like a normal person. And you might even throw sympathy his way. But he tells the story that when he was born, his father, a pastor, was in the delivery room with his mom. And as she delivered him, he could see over the doctor and he could see that his right shoulder popped out and he had no arm. And his father couldn't stand it, and he left the the delivery room. Later, the doctor, after delivering Nick, went out to the father and said, Are you all right? He goes, Yes. And he looked at the doctor and says, But my son has no right arm. And he says, No, you're wrong. Your son has no arms or legs. And Nick said that he went home, and for four months... His mother and father had to try to figure out how to deal with a child that was going to be so dependent on them. His father even struggled with the fact that, you know, you, know, you do all the good godly things when you're a pastor. You pray that when my wife is pregnant that your children are born healthy, that they're able to be used for God's glory, all those things. And then when he's delivered, he's got no arms or legs, so you don't even know how you're going to take care of him. And number two is, how in the world is God ever going to use something like that? Nick progressed in his story and started talking about his eighth birthday. Say when he was eight years old, that he had come home from school and it had been a tough day. Watched all the kids that play all the sports and doing all the things they're running and jumping, and all the kids in the neighborhood. And Nick told his mom, He says, I just need to chill. Can you draw me a bath? And she she went in and carried him in and put him in the bathtub and drew four inches of water. She shut the door and Nick kind of sat there. And he said, four times I tried to drown myself at eight years old. He said, I prayed for a miracle every night. I would ask God that when I wake up in the morning, give me arms and legs. I'll do anything you want. He says, I'm a preacher son. He says, I believe in Jesus Christ. But I'm not giving you my heart until I get a miracle. And that might sound familiar from some of our own prayers. God, I'll work in the church and I'll do anything you want, only if this is what happens. Yeah, God, I'll let myself be an instrument of change, only if this is the way it works out. And when you do that, you eliminate God's opportunity to take you to the most perfect future that he already sees and knows and the way that you're going to be able to serve him. Nick said he just couldn't do it. Just couldn't kill himself. And he grew up a little bit longer. And he progressed in the story to when he got to college. And one day when he was in college, he was asked to go to one of the schools. And there were 30 kids in that local school. And they carried Nick in and they plopped him down on top of a desk. And he began to talk. And he said, they told me I had seven minutes to tell my story. Because I knew he was dealing with God and all that stuff. So he began. And he said in one minute into the story, he looked out and every one of those kids is crying. And one girl is just uncontrollable. 16 year old girl sitting back in the back uncontrollable and she stands up in the midst of it all and she walks up to the front and she says can I just hug you and hugs him in the middle of it and after the class was over he stood around as he does and he talked with the kids as best he can and that day he went home so he was in college he was studying accounting and financial planning And he walked in, carried in, however they moved him through the house, and he sat there with his parents and he told them, he said, um, I've been looking for this all my life, but God has told me what, I'm going, what I can do. And his mother and father were astonished and they sat there and the father looks over at him and said, what is it, son? He says, God wants me to speak to people. God might have not blessed me with arms and legs, but I have a mouth and a heart. I he says, I love people and I want them to know about Jesus Christ. And that day he told, finally gave in, he said to God, he said, okay. He said, I've been praying for this miracle for arms and legs. He says, I'm done with it. And as any good father, and I want every father to listen to this, because this is the right way you handle this situation. As a great father, he looked at Nick and asked the only question that really mattered at that point in time. You are going to finish school, aren't you? Because <laughs> we've invested a lot of money so far into that. And Nick, with a smile on his face, says, I'm going to finish school. But he says, I wanted you to know that. He found his purpose. I thought it was important today not to just hear me tell the story, but Pete has pulled up 47 seconds of Nick talking in an interview about miracles and how they perform in his life. And I've seen seven people come to the front in this country, in India. Seven people came up to pray for deafness in their ears. Only three of the seven get healed. I used to hate it when they pray for healing and I never got my arms and legs and everybody else got healed but me. But when you hear a preacher say, you know what, without arms and legs, we're going to pray for a miracle tonight. But if God doesn't heal you tonight, the greatest miracle of all is knowing Jesus Christ. And they believe me because I didn't get my physical miracle. Mm. But they see God in me and they want God above a physical miracle. Today, when we began this service, we celebrated Blake and his decision. And one of the things that I always tell the students when they come and make that profession of faith, and they get into that deal about being in the baptism waters. They talk about the nervousness because all the people out there, we didn't, we didn't figure it out. I just lifted you up, right? We didn't plan that. That was good. But I always tell the kids, I said, this is your first opportunity in front of all those people to show who you have in the middle of your heart. And that's why I said when I came out there, it is the best thing, the best day that I ever have as a minister. Because I get to celebrate the fact that someone has believed in Jesus Christ. You heard it from Nick. He prayed so long about the arms and the legs, but he'd come to the realization that what he had prayed for as a miracle was far different than what God had intended in his life. So let me challenge you with this today. That if you've prayed for miracles, and I don't know the circumstances that you've been through and the struggles, believe me, I don't know, God is able to be there. God is able and willing. As a matter of fact, on the bottom of it, I wrote this little line as a reminder. And it's in my office. It says, Faith means that we're unleashing all of our assumptions until there's only one assumption left. And that is that God is able. If we don't believe that as a church, if you don't believe the fact that God continues to work in this church, you're wrong. Because people continue to come to know Jesus Christ, not because of anything we're doing, because Jesus Christ is standing at that door. Jesus Christ is showing up at their pool and saying, Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be healed? And through all the circumstances you might have in your life today, I want you to know, this area is always open for you. I told him in the first service, I said, I grew up Baptist. Southern Baptist Church, sitting there with my father. You know what that area was? That was the steps. That's all we ever called it. Never did call it an altar. And It was a shame because it provides us such an area just to come and meet God one-on-one this morning. And I want you to know that if you have something, circumstance that you're working through in your life and you're searching for a miracle, first of all, quit looking for your answer and trust in God's. Come up and lay it at the altar. Let God know that you're willing to be open to whatever he has to work in your life. Number two, we provide the Lord's Supper communion. doesn't matter what background you're from. It is the blood and the body of Jesus Christ that's been broken for us. So maybe today you need a time of just coming up and remembering exactly the path that he's carried you through. Maybe he's answered those miracle calls in your life, and now it's your turn to live for him and to be that kind of an example where people don't question who Jesus Christ is because they see it. You live it out every day but come up and share in that communion time because that's between you and God. And finally, as Kent comes, I'll be standing down here because I know that there are so many questions and so many things. If you've got something you need to pray for, if you've got a decision you make, come down here and talk to us. Don't be one of those pew holders. I was one of those when I was 12 years old. Give it over to God. God. Because until you let all this stuff go, until you take yourself out of the mix, it's going to be hard for God to pull off those miracles because we might miss it when it comes if we're not focused on the right thing. Let's pray together. Father, in this moment, in this time, I know your spirit's here. I feel you moving. And Father, I'm just praying for the ones that walked into this room and they're hurting and they're struggling today and I want this to be a time of encouragement. I want them to know that we're willing to walk that path and you've brought this church and this group of believers together so we walk every path together. It's not about picking up our toys and going the other direction when something gets hard. It's when we dig our heels in and we work just a little bit harder. Father, we just thank you for so many examples in your word of how you work through people's lives. That even in the obstinate views of name, he was able to trust in you and receive healing. God, this time of invitation I give to you. I ask for your presence. I ask for you to work the miracles in the lives of these people that need to be worked knowing that we fully trust and love you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross. Be with us in this time. We pray all these things in his precious name. Amen.